0: And uh, uh, when you get to sit down and enjoy family and rest, and uh, you get a little bit more perspective. But here we are again, where it's Thanksgiving is, is over, and we're in the midst of the Christmas season, which has a whole nother layer, right? It seems like already I'm canceling everything because of conflicts, right? Previously scheduled things have conflicts now. There's like two or three options on every single day with parties, get-togethers, meetings, Uh, things going on at school, and we're back kind of into a a different kind of insanity. All fun, all good, but nonetheless challenging and very fast-paced. And I don't know about you, but for me, the older I get, like I remember the gap between Thanksgiving and Christmas was like, Christmas will (laughs) never come! It will never come! Like three days before, just the thought of getting that original Nintendo system, like 72 hours was like so long! like three days, three more days. Now it's like, it's just a blink of an eye, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And all the more, it is harder to stay focused on what this season is all about. As I age, maybe kids are like, listen, I know exactly what it's about. It's all about the PS5, right? That's what it's all about. Uh, It's so easy for, is there a PS5 yet? No, no. Oh, PS4 is so yesterday, right? PS5, where? Are, anyway, it's so easy to get lost and forget what Christmas is all about. And so I hope, that even as I'm talking fast, we can slow down for a few moments and get our hearts and our minds directed on what Christmas is all about. When I ask the question, what is Christmas, Advent, really all about? But really there's a more important question that needs to be raised this morning that the text answers for us. Who is Jesus? Those two questions... Are gonna dominate this morning and really be the focus of the next six Sundays in this series called Sent. Because if you're gonna ask the question, What is Christmas all about? you can't really answer that question without the other, Who is Jesus? Okay, so two questions What is Christmas all about? and Who is Jesus? Two very different questions, but inseparable. You can't answer one without the other. Who is Jesus? Let's look to John chapter 1 together, verses 14 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. You may have read this a million times, but we're going to read it again. Right? That's one of the wonderful things about being in the church of Jesus Christ, is that in some ways, while these things are fresh and they're ever-changing us, these are old truths that we hold. We're not something new, not some flash in the pan with a new idea. We have an old idea, an old truth, an old conviction, an ancient one that is is an anchor for life, especially as we enter into this season. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Let's look at it together. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him, and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen? Amen. Today, and in this series, I want you to know who Jesus is. I want to be very clear. No gimmicks, no tricks. I want you to know who Jesus is because if you don't know who Jesus is, you won't really have an understanding or an experience of Christmas at all to the fullest degree. I want you to know who Jesus is. And this passage at the very least, at the very least tells us three things about Jesus who he is. Number 1, Jesus is God. Who became like us? Jesus is God who became like us. You say, where do you mean Jesus is God who became like us? Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. We're talking about the Word. We've got to go back to the previous 13 verses, right? Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the He, and Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. That's what John is trying to convey in his writing here in this opening part of his gospel. Jesus is God. He is the Word. He was in the beginning. Jesus is the Word. He is God. And it says in verse 14 that the Word, who is God, who is Jesus, became flesh. This is central to our understanding of the Incarnation. Christmas is about the Incarnation. God, the Word, Jesus, becoming flesh taking on human form, putting on a body, flesh, becoming like us. So in Jesus Christ, the Word becomes a man. God becomes a man. That is central to our understanding of the nature of Jesus. He did not become a God because He lived a perfect life life as a man as maybe the Mormons might teach it no man I'm sorry God became a man man doesn't become God God becomes a man and that happens in Jesus Christ the word became flesh and that word flesh is is that it's to emphasize the fact that he had flesh and bones okay he had muscles Took on a body. He became just like us in that regard. It shows the the both and nature of Jesus. He is both fully God and he is fully man. Preach, Silas. (laughs) I'm done. That's my Christmas gift for the year. (laughs) Fully God, fully man. He is transcendent. He existed before time, beyond time, and now he, what, is imminent. He comes to us in time, fully God, fully man, transcendent, imminent, beyond us, and now as one of us. How this all works out, I can't explain to you perfectly with my finite mind. Can you? I don't think so. This gets at the glory, the matchless glory of the nature of Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. In his divinity and in his humanity. And yet, he does become like us by taking on flesh. Jesus is God who became like us. He is so much more than our culture or even we might initially give him credit for. That's Jesus. He's so much more than we would give him credit for. He is God who became like us. And number two... Jesus is also God who lived in a world with us. Jesus is God's glorious presence with us. Where do we see that? Verse 14, again, slowing down, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not only did become like us, but Jesus dwelt among us. That word dwelt. It's a very important word. It means to tabernacle. right? To dwell with us. To tabernacle with us. This God who lived beyond us comes and takes up residence in our midst. In the midst of real people. In real time and in real space. The one who is omnipresent Everywhere has geographic precision. He comes to the people of Israel. He's born in Bethlehem. Right? God became like us and lived with his people. This word to tabernacle brings us all the way back to Exodus. Right? Where where, where God instructed the people to set up the tent of meeting. And it would be in the tent of meeting and in the tabernacle, we know the fullness of it, in the the building of the temple, that God would put His glorious presence in the midst of His people. That at the heart of God was a desire to be present with His people in all of His glory. That, That maybe for a people that feel like God is so far and so distant, and so way out there, so distant from our everyday life and our everyday reality, maybe in the midst of a circumstance where you feel like God has abandoned you and left you to your own resources, you come to grips with the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christmas, the nature of Jesus Christ, that that is is not the case. That in Jesus Christ, He takes up residence With his people. He comes to them and lives among them. His glorious presence with his people. That's what Jesus' birth and his coming into the world signifies. That God, his glorious presence is with his people. That's who Jesus is. In many ways, you could say that, that the tent of meeting and the tabernacle and the temple were all simply a foreshadowing of a greater reality. Of when God would be in the midst of his people, with them, near to them, and they would know and share and experience his nearness in all of his glory. That happens When Jesus comes into the world in a way that is so much more profound and magnificent than the tent of meeting, than the tabernacle, or the temple. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. It is in the person of Christ that God is present with his people in a very glorious way, a unique way, a way unlike any other way. In Jesus Christ, God is gloriously present with his people. You come inside the sanctuary, you'll see something over the door to kind of kind of signify what this room is. And when we moved into the building, we had that conversation. What do we call this room? Otherwise known as the glorified shed, right? It's 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 a small room, so what do we call this room? Do we call it the sanctuary? Do we call it the auditorium? What do we call it? We came to the conclusion that we wouldn't want to convey in any way, shape, or form that this room is a sanctuary where God's presence is uniquely manifest. This room, as opposed to any other room. Does that make any sense? Because this, is, this physical building is not there where God's presence is manifest in the midst of His people. It is in the person of Jesus Christ and His giving of the Spirit, which takes residence inside of His people. The church is a people, right? Not a building. This is not a sanctuary in that sense that a sanctuary was understood in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. There's nothing unique about this building where God's presence is beautifully manifest here. We could be anywhere as God's people worshiping Him and experience His glorious presence. Friends, it is in Jesus Christ, His coming into the world, Him taking on human form, becoming like us, and then uh, uh, tabernacling with us that God is with His people. This is the incarnation, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Is this moment where where Jesus Christ bridges this great gap that exists between God and humanity. A gap that, that we could never bridge on our own. Where God literally plummets from a peak of endless and infinite glory into the valley of broken human experience. What a reassuring and wonderful thing to recognize that that is exactly what God did when he saw our state. He knew what was necessary, he knew what was good, and he sent Jesus, his son, into the world to become like us and to be his glorious presence with us. He took the initiative to bridge a gap that we could not bridge on our own. And that very much shapes our understanding and our mission as a church. That we also are a sent people on mission. And our mission should be, because of the nature of Jesus and the nature of the call of God, to be very incarnational. We should be in the midst of these people geographically, taking the initiative to bring the message of Christ to the world. Our, me- our mission is incarnational. We're present tonight at the village. Seems silly, but in a, in a very simple way, at the village of North Syracuse, where, where the band is going to play holiday music for the Christmas parade. We're, why are we doing that? Why are we giving up another night? Well, we're so tired and busy. Because we're called to be present and take the initiative to bridge the gap in our community. To reach out and to see, not wait for them to come here. But we're called to go and participate and, 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 and rub shoulders with the people of this community. That's an incarnational act for us as Renovation Church. God has placed us here. He's put us in North Syracuse for his purposes, to bring light in the midst of darkness, to give hope in the midst of despair. And it's the simple ways that we make ourselves available and take initiative in this community and how you do this in your everyday life, at work, at home, in your families. You do all that because, you know, that's exactly what God did. Taking the initiative. Stepping out. Going. In order that hope might come to despair and light might come to darkness. Jesus is God's glorious presence with us. Goes on to say, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 continues. seeing his glory we've seen his glory on the one hand no one can ever see god and live right and yet when jesus comes as a man in a very special way in a way unlike any other way before that the people there the apostles the people of that day were able to see a glory that was unlike any other glory to be seen they're able to see, not just with their eyes, but the word really denotes a, a comprehension. they were able to comprehend it and understand it to a new degree that it could never be understood before. We've seen His glory. The glory of the Father is revealed and made manifest in the coming of the Son in a way that it's never been manifest before. And so He's saying that we've seen His glory. We've seen the glory of the Father In the Son. The glorious, the only Son from the Father. Right, Moses, going back to Exodus, what did he want to see in Exodus 33? What did Moses want to see? Right after the golden calf. Reestablishing connection with Yahweh. What does he ask Yahweh for? Does anybody remember? Show me your glory. And then, third day, wrote a song about it. (laughs) They did. Show me your glory. Yeah, okay, we'll stop there. Moses wants to see the glory of Yahweh, right? He's saying we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We know the rest of the story that. That, that the Lord, verse, uh, verse 7, Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed to him, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. is a glory as of the only Son from the Father, verse 14, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, steadfast love and faithfulness. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, guess what? Same words. Same words. The glory of Exodus 34. Show me your glory. Steadfast love and faithfulness. We've seen his glory. Gl- glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Same words. The glory that was revealed. In name, and in the manner in which Yahweh revealed it to Moses, is now uh, more full form and now finally revealed in Jesus Christ. They've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in this moment, in the Word becoming flesh, and Jesus coming to the world and dwelling with his people, it's an opportunity for, for the people there to see and experience a glory unlike any other, The same glory, yet a fulfillment of, a fuller measure of that glory revealed in Exodus 34. That Jesus is this God. Jesus is that God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the fullness of the glory that is being promised and revealed there and is a visible expression of it in his coming into the world. That's who Jesus is. The fulfillment of that. The fullest expression of that. He's the very thing that we need to know God. If you want to know who God is, you must look to Jesus to know the answer to that. You must look to Jesus because Jesus is the one when he comes into the world and becomes like us and lives among his people that he is revealing a glory that was once revealed to Moses, and now in fuller form, shown to be true and real in the person and work of Christ. So you must look to Jesus to know God. He's so much more than we might give him credit for. Jesus is nothing less than all that we need to know God. That's Jesus. He's nothing less than all that we need to know who God is. Jesus is God's uh, uh, becoming like us. He's God's glorious presence with us. And now we see, number three, that Jesus is God's gracious revelation to us. Jesus is God's gracious revelation to us. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Amen. And here he's. Continuing his thought from verse 14, he's showing us this, this idea that it's continuous and yet fuller and more robust than the grace given to Moses in the law. Let's be clear. It was a gracious thing for Yahweh to give the law and to reveal himself to these people who were enslaved in Egypt. It was a gracious act of Yahweh. And yet there is a new grace that is, that a more profound grace, I should say, a, a fuller grace that is now provided for in Christ. This grace is revealed in Jesus Christ. And so we understand that this, this, that we're all receiving grace upon grace is just simply conveying a superabundance of grace that comes in Jesus Christ. It's constant. It's it's ever flowing. It's ever increasing. It's grace upon grace upon grace. It's super abundant. That Jesus is the source of God's grace toward us. It is full and supreme in Him. That the glory that is being shown and revealed is a glory that is indeed a gracious revelation to us. It's full of grace. Full of truth. For so many of us, that is such wonderful news. Grace. Grace confronted with the reality of our sin and our struggle to obey. In the, 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 so often we feel stuck in a particular way of thinking or a way of living. We can't seem to stop what, a particular sin in our life. Something has a hold on us. The wonderful news is that that God is providing what we need in Jesus Christ. We need His grace to be set free. Not just a a, a better way to live, seven steps to success and figuring it out, seven steps to freedom. No, what we need as sinful humanity who is stuck in our sins and, and can't get out on our own, we need the grace of God. We need God's unmerited favor lest we be stuck, lest we be condemned. And what he's saying is, is that the, the grace given in the law was, was minuscule compared to the grace given, the superabundant grace, God's unmerited favor given towards sinners in Jesus Christ. You say, when Jesus came to the world, we got to experience that, see that, interact with it, receive it. This Glory that is full of grace and truth. That is, the law comes through Moses, but grace comes through Jesus Christ. It is a gracious revelation to us. Spurgeon talks about this grace in one of his two million messages that he preached, so it seems. I love the way that only he can say it. I thought I'd read a portion of it for you. He says again, I bear my testimony that He is full of grace. Ah, had He not been, I would have never beheld His glory. I was full of sin to overflowing. I was condemned already because I believed not upon Him. He drew me when I wanted not to come. And though I struggled hard, He continued still to draw. And when at last I came all trembling like a condemned culprit to His mercy seat, He said, Your sins, which are many, are all forgiven you. Be of good cheer. He took me out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay he set my feet upon a rock and put a new song in my mouth and established my goings. Let others despise him, he says, but I bear witness that he is full of grace. Is that your confession today? Let others despise him, but I will confess, I will bear witness that he is full of grace. Oh, I would that some poor sinner here who is full of sin would remember that Christ is full of grace. I would that you, poor despairing one, you who have given yourself up as a lost soul, would remember that plenteous grace with him is found, grace to pardon all your sin. May the healing streams abound, make and keep you pure within. Amen? Let others despise him. But I bear witness that he is full of grace. From him we have received grace upon grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. no one has ever seen God and lived. You wonder why Isaiah, uh, in chapter six, when he sees when he's brought into the uh, the glorious presence of the Lord, he says, "Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen, right? No one has ever seen God. That's a gracious thing for God to remain distant in that regard. For in our sin, if we see His glorious presence, no man can see Him and live. And so, John is saying that no one has ever seen God. It was something that was believed to be true. Yet, verse 18, the only God who's at the Father's side, better said, the one-of-a-kind God. The unique one who's at the Father's side, who who could not be nearer to God than he is. Who's in closest possible community and connection with the Father. That one-of-a-kind son, Jesus, has made him known. You see, Jesus is God's gracious revelation to us in a very unique way in a way that no one else can jesus reveals the father jesus tells us who god is no one has ever physically seen god the father and yet jesus in the incarnation coming coming into the world becoming like us being present with us makes him known reveals him explains the father And he is the one-of-a-kind son that is able to do that. That's very hard to hear in our pluralistic day. Many ways lead to the same place. All gods are the same. The scriptures teach something very different than that. The scriptures teach of Christ being the only son of the Father. The only Lord of history. The only Savior of sinners. Salvation is found in no one else. It is above, it is His name, the name above every name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. So we preach a very exclusive message of hope that if you know Christ, if you trust Christ, if you see Christ, it is only through this one of a kind Christ. Jesus himself, that salvation is secure for us. There is no other way. There's no other path than through Christ and Christ alone for salvation from our sin. There's no other way to know God, to see him for who he is. There's no other explanation of God. There's no other revelation of God's glory. There's no other source of grace and truth. There's no other available source of grace for those who are weak in sin. It is only through Christ. Christ alone. He exclusively is that person. He is therefore fully sufficient only to know the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the gracious revelation of God. And seeing Jesus, we're seeing who God is. Christmas is a celebration. The fact that God has stooped down and, and revealed himself to us in a way that was necessary and good and sufficient. For without such revelation, without such condescension into our reality, no salvation, no knowledge of God would ever be possible. We'd be left on our own, guessing, scratching for more information. But what we see here is that Jesus is the whole story of God. He's the whole story. We don't need any additional chapters other than Jesus Christ than to know the full story of who God is. That last phrase, He has made Him known, it just means He has fully explained Him. You may hear the word exegete. That's where we get that word, explain, to expose, exegete. Jesus exegetes God. He explains God fully and perfectly. We know the whole story when we look at the person of Jesus. You know the whole story of Christmas when you look at Jesus. Imagine losing a part of the story in Lord of the Rings. Right? Such a complex journey through Middle-earth. Phenomenal movies. I heard did I say this before? I heard they did a book off of those movies. I said that before here, didn't I? Yeah. I say that a lot to make fun of myself. You know, imagine a portion of that story being dropped. One of the 3 episodes Right? Like, imagine having the whole story of God in Christ. That's what we have, it tells us the whole story. So, who is Jesus? Jesus is God who has become like us. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is God uh, uh, who is present with us, his glorious presence with us. Jesus is God's gracious revelation to us. Jesus is so much more than we give him credit for. He's everything that we need to know God. Nothing less than everything that we need to know God. So if you see him for who he is, The proper response is to trust him. Do you trust him this morning? That's important. It gets at the heart of the gospel, central to our salvation. You go back a couple verses, you see that while this light that came into the world, this word that became flesh, that he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, what does that mean? Who believed in his name. To them, he gave the right to what? Become children of God. You see, that's what saving grace does. That's what the incarnation makes possible. Right? That people far from God can become family. Some of us may immediately say, What is Christmas all about? It's all about family. Man, there's nothing more enjoyable at times and sometimes frustrating to hang out with family over Christmas. Right? There's a joy and an angst that comes with that. There's a truth to that. Right? There's a truth that Christmas is all about family. not primarily biological, but about God's family. That when Jesus came into the world and took on human form and gave, brought God's glorious presence to us, guess what? He bridged the divine human gap in such a way, bringing salvation to the world in such a way that to all who saw his glory, saw him for who he was, and believed in him. That's it. Believed in him to those people he gave the right to become children of God. The Father sent the Son into the world to take on our flesh, to live amongst us, to reveal him to him. God sent the Son into the world so that he might bring in more sons and daughters into his family. So let's not complicate this. I was talking to somebody this week. I get into a lot of conversations in the foyer out there, trying to ignore my real duties. As Becker makes fun of me, right? Talking to people, and I was sharing—I don't know about, I, about you, but 15 years in ministry, 30 years into Christianity, I complicate this sometimes. I make it more than it is, right? Overthink it, overanalyze it. What is Christmas all about? Let's get deep. Believe me, I'm in. But I want you to just hear the the truth about Christ and call you to the simplicity of what the gospel calls you to. Trust. This relationship with God is about, just trusting him for who he is and what he has promised in his word. Trusting. Do you remember when Christianity was just about Knowing and trusting in Christ? When Christmas was about knowing and trusting in Christ that you've seen in all of his glory? Do you Remember when Christmas was just about Christ? Not about this, that. Like, it's about Christ. Relationship with God is about trusting in Christ for who he has revealed himself to be. And I wonder today, whether for the first time, or being reminded of the identity of Jesus, that today, you just trust him. With all that you are. Rely upon Him. His incarnation. By the way, without the incarnation, you have no hope of being saved. No hope of escaping hell. The incarnation is absolutely essential to your salvation. This is no peripheral doctrine. This is essential. If Jesus does not take on human form, become like one of us, He is not a sacrifice that is sufficient to take our sins. He must become like us in our flesh and in our bone. So know this, that he did, and that the greatest glory to be revealed would be one day when he says, I'm going to glorify myself. And what he means is to hang on a cross for your sins. Do you remember when Christmas was about remembering that he was born so that he might die? He came to live here so that he might die here? Remember it was just simply about Christ and the cross and trusting in that? if you see him trust him and if you trust him rest in the fact that he took his grace applied it to your life as far as you possibly could be in your sin and brought you into his family amen jesus jesus nothing else no one else jesus so much more than we give him credit for. He's nothing less than everything we need to know and love and enjoy God. Amen? Let's pray. I'll praise be to you, O God. For your intervening work to save us through your son, Jesus Christ. It was out of your great plan and your sovereignty and your goodness, your mercy. To look upon us in our sinful, humble, sad, broken, enslaved state. To send a rescuer. Jesus became like us. He was indeed and continues to be by his spirit. Your glorious presence with us. And he is a revelation to us of your saving knowledge and grace. All praise be to you. You have done it. We receive it with thanksgiving. All Christ's people said, Amen.